Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another summer edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined as always by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Today is, uh, yeah, Wednesday, July 20th. And John, uh, I think we need to plan a trip to Southern California in the Mm. near term so we can officially welcome UCLA and USC to the Big Ten. Got to say, pretty natural fit for the footprint, right? It was, well, first of all, you're welcome. As co-Big Ten commissioners, we help <laughs> yes. come to work. I'm proud of our work. Um, mm-hmm. Always keep people on their toes was our number one goal when we took the job. So I feel like we really took everyone by surprise and proud of us. And, um, you know, it made sense to us. Rutgers versus UCLA football just felt right to us. So we I, made it happen. I mean, you talk about just natural rivalries. Mm-hmm. Rutgers, UCLA, Maryland, USC, Nebraska. Actually, Nebraska, USC would be kind of cool from like an old football perspective. But I think uh, this is what I call manifest destiny. That's what That's what this has become. The Big Ten now reaches from shore to shore. Um, in case you've been, I don't know, in a bunker somewhere, which I wouldn't blame you for the last handful of weeks. Uh, we're obviously talking about UCLA and USC joining the Big Ten uh, in, I believe, is 2024. Um, I don't know, like it, it, in a halfway serious like way to talk about this subject. I it, it is legitimately like f- fantasy world now. In, like the simulation has has. Yeah gone too far in a way with with these conferences and it's really interesting you know to to i think in a in a vacuum it's for a fan i think it's really cool i understand both sides of it where people say like oh you're losing you know potential rivalries and this doesn't make any sense and it's skewing more towards like a professional uh you know model with almost conferences and divisions at a certain point but like I would say two things to that. Three things. First, it's inevitable. So just don't be bitter about it. Just enjoy it. Uh, and then the, the the next thing would be, it's cool. You get to see your team play in these different markets. And then three, just be glad you root for a team that is in one of these inevitable power conferences that will eventually be the Big Ten and the SEC. These will be your AFC and NFC, your two big 20-team leagues. It's just inevitable. Yeah. Be glad that Michigan State 
has been in one of those. And be glad you're not Oregon right now or Washington right now or one of these other Utah where you could very easily find yourself on the outside looking in here for too long. Yeah, it's never good when you're when Phil Knight is cold calling and is <laughs> like that which happened, by the way, that's real life. A billionaire is cold calling on behalf of his university to just get get some type of conversation going. And everyone's like, we're good. Like, but, you know, <clears throat> basically what we're seeing is you know, the nationalization of, of a regional sport. You know, the sport, when I say regional, it matters in pockets of the country, every pocket, but your pocket matters to you more than way any other pocket. And, you know, when you expand the footprint like this, you're, you're creating NFL type matchups. And I think they're going to be cool, like you said, but I wonder how long the cool factor hangs on and then, you know, does it wear off? Um, somebody put from a West Virginia fan posted about this, and I thought it was interesting because their perspective of being in the Big East and then moving that dying and then them moving to the Big 12 and said something along the lines of like, yeah, playing all those teams was fun for the first couple of years. And then the, the novelty wears off. And now you're just a team that's playing another team that you have no history with. Yeah. You don't hate them. Like, it's just a thing. It's just happening. And I don't know. It's just, it's just an interesting perspective. It is an interesting perspective. And that's part and parcel of why we should be excited and, and relieved, quite frankly, that Michigan State has that. Because we're not the newcomer. Michigan State's going to have those rivalries. You're going to always have, you have history with every team in the Big Ten. Honestly, at this point, even kind of including, you know, if you're willing to expand to basketball, Maryland and Rutgers and football. Rutgers has been tough in some basketball games, too. Nebraska, MSU's played in some, some you know, pretty competitive games. So I think it's like a, a you know, I think there's a couple of different things about that. Like, it kind of depends on how the scheduling ends up working out like you will still have teams that you play consistently every single year and you'll have these smaller pods or divisions in all likelihood where you're going to play like how you do against those teams will determine essentially like any placement in some type of big 10 playoff or any college football playoff like if you're a Michigan State fan, you don't need to worry about MSU not playing Michigan. You don't need to worry about them, you know, not playing Ohio State. I would say in all likelihood, those games in some way, shape or form will be um, protected either by mm -hmm. those teams being in your pod or being like a quote unquote protected rivalry. Um, but I get it. I mean, it is watering down a, a bit of a product, but um you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just the, like the, the, uh, the nihilist in me that was just ready for this to eventually happen because as soon as texas and oklahoma pulled the plug on the big 12 like they set all of this into motion and you knew yep. that the big 10 would respond one way or another and you yep. knew it would be big fish that they went after and quite honestly it is surprising to me honestly like ucla and usc are like the biggest fish they could have possibly gone after so as a fan of the big 10 you know as like a charter member of the big 10 it's pretty exciting to see that those teams are the ones that were at it and not you know, listen, they're great programs, but but Oregon and Washington aren't bringing the same amount of attention. They're not bringing the same. They're not opening up the same recruiting pipelines. They're not bringing the same amount of dollars from a TV revenue perspective. So to get these two fish is a big deal. And 
I kind of mentioned it just now, but like the television aspect of this whole thing is be under no illusions. That is exactly what is driving all of this because the Big Ten is up for a new media contract, a new TV uh, rights contract here and in the next handful of months. And they just went out and added the LA market in like all of Southern California, which is just so many eyeballs and so much more money that can be driven to the conference on these teams. And honestly, looking at it from a school perspective, that's a lot more money in the coffers for Michigan State University. So should honestly be, you know, pretty, pretty, if this was going to happen, this is the best possible version of it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So here's some numbers for you guys. This, this year, the Big Ten will have a payout per team of $57 million. Next year, it'll be $59 million. With USC and UCLA added, it will jump to $89.5 million. It's a massive jump. And yeah. it was in response. I mean, when you're talking about jumping you know, $31 million with an ad, like you, you almost have, you have to do it. Yeah. And even if it, you know, you kind of have to throw out the you know regionalization argument because frankly the SEC for a moment in time was going to be the bigger and more profitable conference with their addition of Oklahoma and Texas that won't yeah. happen until 2025 the Big Ten cut the legs out of that pretty quick by adding two um, massive brands and, and got on the right side of, of uh, most profitability. You know, it is a money, you know, it's chasing game. You talked about AFC, NFC, you know, Big Ten, SEC. It's a matter of time. You can look at all the negative things. One of the positive things might be, hey, does this mean that, you know, these leagues finally have the the capital and, and ability to break away from the NCA and create a better product? You know, and we can throw out all this, like, student athletes, you know, lying to ourselves that we've been to. Yeah. For decades. I don't know. Maybe there's relegation. You know, who knows? Ugh. But like the, the relegation idea is the most fun one that everybody wants that will never happen, which is sad. But because no one's ever going to sign up for the only reason that works in England is because that's how it's gone for yeah. hundreds of years. Whereas now, you know, in collegiate football, this might as well be that. It's the Super League concept that they tried to implement. I would love to see relegation. The thought of having, like, Central Michigan get called up from the MAC when Northwestern loses every game is hilarious and fun and almost fitting in a way. But, um, yeah, I think what scares me is if, as you, like, kind of iterate this out, if these conferences do break away, and if they do have their own governing body, is there a world in which these teams break away from the university? And at that point, are they just a essentially a junior or like a minor league team that's licensing the name and the logos from the schools to maintain that affiliation? If that happens, that's, you know, listen, I'll still watch it. I'll still claim it because it's my school. It's still going to be my college and my name. But like, that's when I start to get a little like, eh, I don't know if I like this because the connection to the school is, is really what makes college football anything other than a minor league football sure. league. So I, I hope that that is not what happens, but, um, that would be my, that's, that's the only thing where I think we may end up going to bridge too far. Well, you know, maybe 
it is, you know, if you do that, you know, for better or worse, then you can hire <laughs> high school recruits as employees of the university. Right. If they are on salary contract, you know, and, and is there a salary cap? Who knows? And we're going down a path that, you know, hasn't even been sketched out yet. But um, it's hard not to, to at least think about it, considering yep. the, the dominoes really are falling quickly here. And at a certain point, these smaller leagues are going to either have to get absorbed or or who knows what happens, right? Because there will always be a TV audience for Sunbelt football and the Mac football on Tuesdays and on Wednesdays. Yeah. But like if they and maybe those schools see it as a must for for to keep their other um, athletic programs alive. Right. And, and they just take that. I just some schools lose money, you know, um, and just mm-hmm. might say this just isn't worth it for us anymore. I don't know. I could see that. I could see that absolutely happening with certain teams, certain schools folding programs if it's not profitable anymore. I think the, the part that you know I just talked about what scares me the most, the thing that excites me the most is what this could mean for the future of the college football playoff. Because while people are probably scared that it's you know this big monolithic thing where you've got two, you know one team from both of these super conferences and those are the two that play each other, I actually think because like you said, there are all of these other conferences that are going to want to work their way into this somehow. This makes a larger playoff format a lot easier because these conferences are so focused on money and all the TV networks want more college football. They're not going to incentivize like less playoff activity. Like I I think that there's a an interesting world in which, you know, you're talking about a. Yeah, like the like the uh, Division One AA FCS, whatever you want to call it now. um, they have like a 16 team playoff. I think it's very possible that like the top, you know, the four call it division winners in the sec and big 10 end up making the playoff. And then you take an automatic bid from some of these other conferences. And that's the only way that they're able to get in. Like, I I just think that it could create a very cool and quite honestly, from Michigan state's perspective, a very attainable, uh, path to a path to a playoff. I mean, by being in the big 10, I think it's kind of like when you think about the champions league in soccer, how they take the league winner from all these different leagues across Europe, but the top, I think it's the top four from the English premier league all get in like every year, no matter what. So you could be the third place team. You still make it. I actually think that that kind of model ultimately is what would be adopted by college football and whatever this new governing body looks like, even if it's just some version of the NCAA. Um, And that to me is actually really exciting. And as we transition to talk specifically about Michigan state, the reason why that's so exciting is because we landed a head coach at the perfect time who is concentrated on the right things that can make Michigan state a program that can actually compete in that landscape. I think as we move into what's going to be a much more national and quite honestly, revenue oriented, uh, way of recruiting. So big push here in June. Isn't that right, John? It was a big, big month. One of the bigger months um, we've ever seen from the program. Like this is a, this is a group that um, of, of talent that we've never seen on this campus. And, you know, they, the results are starting to roll in and um, certainly didn't land any of those five stars yet. 
But I think it's a little unrealistic to just say, hey, we recruit five stars now and expect it to happen. You know, we'd like it to because, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of momentum and hype around the program. I just it doesn't happen that easily. And there are only like a handful of five stars. Yeah. Um, That's not to say that it can't happen. And I don't want to like re, you know, scale back expectations or move the goalpost here. I think it's just um, important to remember that, you know, while the, the, the biggest fish were not landed, the group that has been landed so far is a step up from what we had seen in some time in East Lansing. I mean, I would argue ever. Like, I'm not sure when they've had a better recruiting class than the one that they'll in all likelihood land this year. I mean, right now they sit at 25th overall. And but it's important to take that overall number, especially in July, with a big grain of salt, because um, in most I think pretty much all of the major recruiting uh, publications that is based on volume as much as it is quality of recruit. So while they're at 25th overall in cumulative uh, class ranking, they're 16th overall in the average recruit ranking, which is honestly really the one that you want to pay attention to, because that is sh- that that's quality over quantity. Now, I, in a in a dream world, you want quality and quantity. I mean, that's what the Georgias and Alabamas and Clemsons of the world are able to do year in and year out. But um, they do sit right now at 16th overall in that average recruiting ranking. And just as a reminder, the the goal for this year, and this year is so important because it really sets the groundwork for what MSU can accomplish on the recruiting front. A top 15 class and about eight and eight wins on the field are pretty much the minimum to build toward what we would consider like a national championship caliber program by 2025. And yes, that sounds like an outrageous goal. But in reality, that's what Mel Tucker has stated as his objective is. And that's what we've always talked about on this podcast as, you know, what the program should be shooting for. Otherwise, why are we here? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. Um, so they're in line with that class part of it right now. And a big reason for that is the two commits that just came in over the past handful of weeks. Uh, one lineman on each side. Dude, Cole Dellinger, uh, Clarkston grad. Um, whose older brother uh, is it was a top 100 recruit that went to LSU chose Cole Cole chose Michigan State over LSU and I thought that that was pretty um, I mean he might not be the most inspirational from a from a star standpoint yes he's a four star but I think when you look at the fact that he had an older brother go to LSU and LSU wanted him to I think that's mm-hmm. a big deal um, and you keep a kid in state and um, you don't let a guy, a school like Michigan, get him who's been um, very good at the offensive line. So an area that Michigan State had to get better at very quickly and, and did so with this addition. Um, yeah, the other side, by Job. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, go ahead. It's hard not to get this. I mean, Dellinger, just to wrap that one up, is a huge gift for all of the reasons that you mentioned. And additionally, he's the third offensive lineman in this class. So you love to see the concentration on a, on the massively important position group. He also checks in at 6'4", 280 is what he's listed at right now. Three recruits, all big on the offensive line. A couple more to come. We'll talk about those in a sec. But the the, the most exciting recruit that MSU's gotten I, I don't know, in a while is uh, by Joe, the defensive end, really edge rusher. Uh, not entirely sure where he'll end up. But uh, Brandon Jordan. 
the the effect I think is fully uh, showing through here. Job is right now he's just got reclassified to the number seventy three overall recruit on twenty four seven, number sixty nine, nice in the composite, um, number nine edge in the country, number one recruit in Oklahoma. Picked Michigan State over uh, final three of Alabama, Oklahoma, and MSU, and chose MSU out of that group. So just like take that for a second and think about those names. Miami was in his final four, I believe. Like those are these are not these aren't guys that you're pulling that have like an offer from you know Cincinnati. Yeah, I know they made the playoff, but like it, 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 we're swimming in a different pool now. I think as a, as a as a school, and Job is, I mean, just a crazy athlete. Uh, he was returning kicks for his team last year, and you see this film, and he's just on a different level of athlete than everybody else. And you know, uh, Job and Dellinger are the types of guys that you need to get if you are going to build one of these huge classes, um, because not only of just the sheer quality of the recruit, but the positions at which they play. I mean, we've always said it. I mean, it's the oldest football analogy in the book. It's you got to protect the quarterback and get to the quarterback in order to win. Michigan State has clearly prioritized those two areas when it comes to the recruits that are getting. But, but uh, yeah, Job is the 16th highest rated Michigan State recruit of all time. That's how big of a get he was. Uh, so it's – and, and there are some other huge fish. And I think it's I, I actually think it's like worth kind of zooming out a second because I I get this vibe from Michigan State Twitter specifically where it's like, oh, you know, some of these five star kids, like you were saying, John, are choosing other schools. Let's not lose sight of the fact that this is, like I said, the 16th highest rated recruit yeah. in Michigan State history ever like this class while it might not be chock full if it's not a georgia class it's not this era defining class like texas a&m had last year this is a even today a huge step forward for michigan state yeah i mean you can't say enough about it and i i think you know it's obviously not over yet there are some huge opportunities and guys on the board that you you, you want to lock in um and, and we'll find out a handful of those probably next week, actually, or this, this week, even, Um, you know, you you pick up a couple more of those and you're starting to look at a really strong group. And we talked about quality over quantity. They can fill out the class if they want, you know, and get it to a traditional 20 man class, but you and I were talking about it. It's like, if you're not adding guys that you think can start, in the college football playoff eventually don't take them i don't i don't see the point and and um when when you have the transfer portal available to you and you're a program that people want to um you know transfer up to you know from group of five schools or even heck big 10 schools we have seen minnesota illinois Mm -hmm. Purdue transfers all the Michigan State. People want to come here and play up. Um, you know, I don't think you need to fill out a twenty-person high school class anymore. I think you can fill out let let other let guys do the weight room for a couple years and then bring them in. You know, they they're they're instantly able to play. And meanwhile, you're recruiting a group of guys who you feel really confident about, and you're growing them into those starting roles 
um, when when the one and done guys from the transfer portal um, have moved on. I, I don't think you need a large class, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I just wouldn't worry too much when you start to see, you know, MSU's recruiting class fall down the list simply because it doesn't have the number of total people. It's right. their average recruit, and and those guys are going to be making more of an impact earlier than we're used to seeing um, from from the past recruits. Yeah, I think the the entire notion of roster management in college football is a really interesting one because it's just completely different with the transfer portal than it was, you know, even two years ago. Um, and I think you've seen, obviously Mel Tucker's group is one of the more innovative uh, roster building groups. The way he even set up his, you know, recruiting staff is, is, is innovative, you know, talking about how he has people that just work the portal versus people that just do recruiting treating one as free agency, the other as the draft. I mean, it's it's a really interesting approach. And I think what the portal does is it gives you a little more margin for error. But I do think there is some some real value in, in well, here's what it does. It makes it recruiting high school guys more, like, harder and easier at the same time. Like, it's harder because they know that if they don't do their job, they could, you know, it's, it, it's not, wouldn't be surprising if they end up finishing their career in another place. That's not, it, it's happened time and time again across, across every single school, but it makes it easier in that you, you really can be a little cho- more choosy. You don't have to just, it, it's not a volume play where you're like, we got to take 30 guys and just hope 15 of them pan out, which I think we've seen from many programs all across the country for a very, very long yep. time. Now it's more like, let's do our plan A guys. Our, we'll, we'll have our plan A plus guys, our plan A guys, and then our plan you know, B, B plus guys. And if we don't get any of them, then we will fill those holes in the portal one way or the other. I mean, John, you mentioned those three Big Ten programs. There's also been transfers from Wisconsin and sure. uh, Michigan too. And also Georgia and like all of these other big schools. So there's plenty of talent that's available. And um, I think people might, you know, in a way like, yes, Kenneth Walker was the grand slam. There are plenty of other transfers that came in last year that have played huge roles. And I think, honestly, this fall, you'll see even more guys making a bigger impact across the board. So, you know, I'm trying to think of the other programs. I mean, Chris Bogle came from Florida. Like I said, Amir Speed comes from Georgia. We've got UNLV in there with Winman. uh, you know, tons of Jared Broussard from Colorado is just guys coming from all over the country. So uh, I, I don't think MSU will hesitate to, to utilize that moving forward. And maybe there is some strategy. Like, I don't think Mel Tucker would, I think his ultimate end goal would to be to put together classes like Georgia and Alabama can, because that's how you build out a, a roster of that crazy depth. And, and is that ever realistic in East Lansing? Probably not. But something in that neighborhood, you know, called the top eight to 10 every year, that's the, like, would he turn those classes down? No, but I do think there is like another more innovative, uh, newer approach to, to building out a roster that adds um, a little bit of margin for error. Here's the biggest problem with small classes is if you get small classes of guys that you think are playing in recruits and they don't pan out and then you have to replace them through the portal, that's when you get that. That's when it becomes uh, trickier because you're you're really just looking at a crunch on depth more than anything else. Yeah, that's a fair point. And, you know, we talked a little bit about 
look at 2020 roster versus this year's roster. I honestly don't know how many guys are still on the team. Maybe, yeah. what, a dozen? And I just, I think if a kid, if you're going to get a kid that you're just going to end up asking to move on in a couple years anyway, let's save everyone some time. You know, we don't, I agree. We, you know, there's no need for this. So it's not to say that there can't be great players that are not, um, you know, um, highly rated, but they're not, the coaches aren't going on the recruiting sites and, and starting there. They're doing their own evaluations yep. and, and they're saying, and, and by the way, there are some guys who aren't rated very high that MSU has scholarship offers out to, you know, it doesn't really matter about the rating. Um, but, it, but generally the rating has been overall pretty uh, accurate. So um, the reason I pointed out is certainly can get guys. We've seen it up time and time again that are underrated and have fantastic careers. Um, it just would appear that, this group of coaches has their eye on um, some pretty proven talent that have proven it at the highest levels. Um, so there's more likely chance that they're going to continue to prove it um, once they arrive on campus. Yeah. And I would also say that it's important. I think positional value is important, right? Like where we've seen the best team succeed is in the, on the recruiting trail is in the trenches. Like it's not a, it's not, a mystery as to why Alabama and Georgia are always in the, in Ohio state are always the ones that are competing for national championships. It's because they have the best quarterbacks and the best defensive linemen or best quarterbacks, defensive and offensive linemen. Like just look through the NFL, the teams that have where these alums are coming from um, along the lines. And that's where you've seen, Michigan State really, that's why Brandon Jordan was such a big hire. Bay Joe was such a big land. Andrew DePape, they're still in on David Hicks. Those three offensive linemen are all guys that are being recruited heavily. And a couple of these other dudes that are still out there, uh, specifically Peyton Kirkland and Miles McVay, two top 200 or so offensive linemen with offers from all over the place. Uh, That's why these guys are the priority. Because even though there's I think in the portal, it's easier to get some other positions. You can fill in gaps around the skill position players, probably a little bit easier. But where you need to land the big recruits is along those lines. Absolutely. I mean, you asked, you said about NFL production. Since 2010, Alabama has had 18 offensive linemen taken in the draft, um, 15 uh, from Ohio State. That that is quite in the defensive line. Alabama had 20. Ohio State had 19 since 2010. That's more than one a year. Oh, yep. <laughs> that, that's like two a year. That's insanity. You know, you, you you're going up against two guys that are going to go to the NFL next year and then three other guys who are probably going to go to the NFL in, in a year or two. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it's it can't be understated. We've seen it time and again when MSU goes up against Alabama and Ohio State, it gets ugly because it's all about the line, right? So I feel encouraged by the recruiting that Mel has done because this is like the step to prove that you can recruit at that level. And then you followed up with another good year. And Mm -hmm. now you start to really have conversations. You know, having your hat on the table and not getting picked has value in my opinion like 
being absolutely in the graphic, you know, that the social media graphic matters because the next year's class, they all know these kids, they all follow each other. And if they see that, you know, the same green and white Sparty is on everyone's final four, final three, they're going to take that phone call more seriously than they would have earlier from the head coach at Michigan State. So no I think question. it's important, you know, you obviously want to you know, land the recruit, but I think there is some real value and credibility, clout associated um, with being uh, on the table, as you'd say. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I also think that it's important to remember that there are guys classes below that play with these dudes and go to camp with these guys, like the Miles McVeighs and the Peyton Kirklands of the world. Maybe they're not going to the exact same high school, but they, like these camps aren't just one class at a time. They're the top offensive linemen, top defensive linemen, quarterbacks, wide receivers, whatever, from the next three classes. So that like when these juniors who are playing up to with these seniors or sophomores to juniors see these top players that have Michigan state recruits. I'm sure they talk to them about Michigan state in addition to all these other, these other schools. Like the fact that MSU is even in these conversations is wild to me. I mean, just think back to the Antonio, like that we were routinely, routinely competing with Kentucky, which has done a great job on the trail, but Kentucky was always a, a competitor. Uh, Northwestern, <laughs> Cincinnati, uh, I mean, uh, Indiana, like those were the, teams that we've been competing with historically for these recruits. I'm just looking at Kirkland and McVay's final fives right now. Peyton Kirkland's final five, if I'm getting, if I'm seeing the tweet right, yeah, it's Alabama, Oklahoma, Miami, Florida, and Michigan State. Like, okay, say what you want about the U being back, mock them all you want. Florida maybe hasn't had their best years recently. Those are four powerhouses, absolute powerhouses that you're going up against and have a real chance to beat out. And then you go to McVeigh and you're talking about Texas A&M, Oregon and Alabama and Michigan State are the final four. Like these are the biggest of the big dogs. And like you said, John, just being associated with them at this point is a huge deal, a huge deal. Because like you said, you had a great class. You had a good class last year. You could have a you'll definitely have a better class this year and you'll still continue to see success on the field. Like if they could just put together, like I said, an eight or nine win season and be competitive and be in these big games and maybe not get beat by like 50 at Ohio State, um, then you're going to you're going to be you're going to be right there. And honestly, social media is not a small part of this. Michigan State is a massive, very active social media alumni base. And that's something to be said for that, along with NIL. I mean, that I, I just I guess after all of this, want to say people are getting antsy. I think this is kind of our first time getting into the big boy swimming pool when it comes to recruiting. Like Keontae Goodwin was our first, like, <laughs> yep. you know, head first dive in. I think people are kind of getting a little bit of PTSD from it. Like, let's just everybody take a breath. Know that no matter what happens, we've already taken a step forward. It's July. There's plenty of time to land a couple more guys. And once you get into the season, you can always flip dudes. There's always official visits that can be taken. So there's there's a ways to go here. And we are in very good hands when it comes to the building of the program. I 100% agree. Great points. Thank you for calming us all down. And here's, <laughs> here's, here's a little uh, behind the curtains tip when, when you watch these recruiting guys. Take a look at where some of these guys go to, went to high school and then see, take a peek at who MSU is recruiting next year. 
and a lot of the guys might be rated much higher um, are teammates, uh, juniors. Um, an example would be Aid Willie from IMG last year. Uh, that opens a door to have more conversations with guys from IMG this year, and then you land Jordan Hall. You know, Eddie Pleasant this year, and then you take a look at next year, some of the recruits on his high school team, very highly rated. It's not to say that Eddie Pleasant and Aid Willie won't or can't contribute at Michigan State, but it's just an added bonus, you know, a reason to, to make sure you take some of these um, what might look to be lowerly, lower rated, they have, they ha- they might be just as or more valuable because they're the lead recruiting pitch to a lot of guys you really want next year. So yep. um, there's there's value everywhere. Sometimes it's just hidden. It's definitely important to remember that. It's a great point. You're not just recruiting for this class. You're recruiting for all the classes to come. So speaking of recruiters, some people. Um, are doing well. Some people, um, the jury's out, and some we got to have hard conversation about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we saw, you know, Brandon Jordan. Uh, I would argue got his guys. You know, you got two top 200 kids, uh, and and now you you get to see what he can do with them, right? And and then you look down the line, and he's doing a hundred camps. It seems like this summer, and every one of them is with a different NFL stud. It's just. I'm almost surprised that he even has to try and recruit kids. I I mean that sincerely because Mm -hmm. if I were a high schooler, I just don't, I just don't know how you wouldn't want to go learn from someone like that because the long-term financial value of doing that would outweigh any type of short-term bag that one could receive. Just my opinion. I'm I don't disagree with you. I and, and I do think a little bit. It's, I think that where Brandon Jordan's impact will really show through is is next year because yeah. this is a lot of hype and it's paid off in getting the guys that they've gotten. And I don't. They might not be done, and there might be flips coming and all that good stuff. But, um, you know, today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. I really think that if you see an improvement in the pass rush this fall from Michigan State, then that's when Brandon Jordan gets a little bit more uh, data behind him mm-hmm. that you're going to see a big step up. But yeah, the opportunity to learn from him. I mean, listen, it, it, I have no idea how likely it is, but there's still David Hicks is still out there, the defensive end from Texas. He's got all the big dogs in the country chasing him, but he has this relationship going way back with with uh, Brandon Jordan now. If Brandon Jordan lands him, it's all bets are absolutely off for next year's class. It could be the floodgates could open in a way that we're probably just mentally not prepared for. But I think in all reality, if he chooses to go somewhere else, it's still possible that we see a big uptick going in going into next year. But yeah, I don't think his recruiting, I don't think his, um, like you said, it's worth being on the 
on the graphic. I think all that social media out there with guys like Jaden Wayne, even though he's committed elsewhere, like these guys are still pictured in Michigan State gear. They took official visits to come just because of him. And I think this is just the beginning of that impact. Well, you know, I think if, and this isn't a knock at all, but if Jeff Piotrowski has a great year, I, I mean this sincerely, that is a D'Antonio recruit all the way up and down, right? Like yep. the size, the, the grit, you know, the exactly, you know, an old, old, you know, um, type of recruit Michigan State would be looking for. If he has a great year, it would be really hard for me to see how MSU doesn't land some of the top tier talent in 2024. Because all you'd have to do is say, like, no offense, Jeff, but like six foot, 260 pounds, you know, not really an all-star athlete compared to the guys that, you know, are just mutant athletes. If you can get production out of him, like growth production, it's just that's a case study in itself. um, Yeah. Right. It's like, I'd like you to come here and stand next to my friend, Jeff. Now look at yourself. Yeah. And look at Jeff. Mm-hmm. Jeff had 10 sacks this year. Jeff what do you think this. you could do? <laughs> yeah, Jeff, Jeff might make money doing this professionally. He has no yeah. business doing that. <laughs> you should check out, check out what he learned. Maybe we could figure this out. <laughs> Seems pretty easy to me. I don't know. Um, I'd agree. The, the other one I think has had a, a good cycle was uh but still some on the board to see how if it could become great is um offensive line coach you know like we talked about some big names still on the board that if he lands might have the best um position recruiting class and on the whole team um jury's still out i think this is the area that maybe needed the most help on the entire team even though you kind of looked at the secondary and they were so not great last year we know that if three years down the line, it's harder to uh, – you can't just sub in freshman offensive linemen. You can sub in underclassmen in the secondary um, a little more easily. So I just wanted to keep an eye on Chris Cap um, and his his recruiting cycle because it's so important for him to be able to pull decent talent for MSU to take that next step. Yeah, I mean, that's like we are just saying, like offensive line and defensive line are the two biggest – position groups that you have to have success at on the trail in order to to really win big and right now cap like you said i think he's having a, a strong class dellinger uh clay whedon and jonathan slack are all very solid offensive line recruits guys that can play and i think probably hold up in the big 10 very well at this point none of them are really considered like purebred tackles which i think honestly if you're separating the 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 elite from the non-elite the elite from the very good um those are the, the ones with the tackles are the ones that ultimately are are like that that's like the the golden goose of all collegiate positions and now it's amazing that he has these three interior offensive linemen i'd rather have good ones than bad ones but they're the the money positions uh and guys are still out there and we already mentioned peyton kirkland already mentioned miles mcveigh there's also chase basantis um who is a top 60, I think, kid who's choosing between Michigan State, Rutgers, Texas A&M. There's another school involved in there somehow, but those are thought to be the big final three. Um, 
that can take this class from very good, which if nobody lands, nobody else, it's going to finish as very good to great. I mean, if you can land, I mean, just Slack is a three star, but Whedon and Dellinger are both four stars. If you land four, four stars and a high three star who's from your backyard in one class over the likes of those schools that we just talked about, I mean, you're talking about a instant. Mm-hmm. And the best offensive line class Michigan State's ever gotten uh, in the type of guys that you can build a program around. Again, I think this is the area where high school recruiting is where you have to make your inroads because these these elite offensive tackles, they, they're not going to transfer. They're not going to – they just won't leave. Great programs don't let them get away. I mean, you saw Amarius Mims, the, or Darius Mims from Georgia, enter the portal for like six seconds everybody in the world talked about him. Then he's like, Oh, never mind. I'm not going to leave Georgia. Like that's, you, you just are not going to, your chance of landing one of those guys in a portal is going to be really difficult. So getting these dudes in house early on or as true freshmen is, is massively important. And, you know, like you said, cap is, could go from good to good to great here to, <laughs> to elite. If, if he gets a couple of the right signatures. You know? Yeah. I mean, and that's, and, and we, are, he's been known to be such a great, you know, coaching up guys that spent his thing recruiting, you know, I think has been a jury was out. You, you can become a good recruiter and that now you're elite. And that's, I think why you saw him get that bump in the off season yeah. um, in, in position title. Uh, he's earning it now. One thing we have to talk about, and I hate to do it, but mm. God do it. Our boy Harlan Bennett kind of whiffed this cycle so far. <laughs> Is that fair? I mean, I, I, yeah, I think there's been a handful of DBs, you know, DB is still one of those, those areas that, um, what they, they solve more needs, I think via retaining players and via the portal than they have thus far on, on the trail. I think, um, you know, if you look at the class right now, you've got two corners, uh, and, and that's really it. No safeties, nothing like that. Chance Rucker and Eddie Pleasant, um, both great, you know, good young players, uh, Rucker, a four-star DB out of six-one corner out of Texas, is a really nice get. And then, like you said, Pleasant comes from a school that's that's got um, you know a, a, a really solid group of kids behind him. So he's a great guy to make inroads. But additionally, he's a, he's a he's it's almost like a Georgia three-star, a Florida three-star. I think <laughs> you can value over a lot of others. For sure. So um, he's landed two good ones, but. I think the Jalen Braxton thing sort of stands out to everybody because he was committed to Michigan state for all of like four days, six, six hours. And then he decommitted and immediately committed to Arkansas, like right afterwards. I think that's probably sticking in everybody's crawl a little bit. So that's the biggest thing that jumps out. I think the other one, Austin was a lot of people felt pretty good about Elliot Washington. Yes. That's a good call. The Alabama commit that they were going to flip and then he flipped to Penn state, which I think surprised even the most hardcore Penn State fans. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. We're, we're probably just being harsh. But, but when things are going well, you have to find some places to critique. Yeah, that's a fair call, though. I mean, like, to, to be caught so far off guard, which is from mm-hmm. the sound of it, they, he was, um, by that is, yeah, a little, a little uh, disheartening, I suppose, if you're a – uh, you know, a Michigan State fan, but we'll see. I mean, like, you, I, I think the biggest thing for HB is going to be moving into next year. Like, does can this secondary take a big step forward? Because if it doesn't, and he's not out here recruiting great 
players to the, to the caliber of his other um, position coaches, you know, you probably, you know, maybe you need to ask a couple questions, but um, yeah, I, I think it'll be very interesting to see how that, how that all shakes out, I suppose. Yeah. And, and we've talked about at length that like a lot of the last year's dead last and in, in pass defense was scheme related, but you know, you can only argue for on someone's behalf for so long. So that I think mm-hmm. that's why this recruiting cycle was important to him and why this season is very important that they take a step forward because it, it doesn't look great right now, you know? So, yeah. And, and as you think about, and we'll talk about the, the schedule here in just a second, but as you, whether we like it or not, Michigan state won a lot of games very closely last year and probably deserve to lose more than the two games they ended up losing. I mean, if you just, just go through them in your own mind and you will very easily identify the ones that could have very easily gone the other way. And a lot of that fell on the secondary and they, they will not be able to do what they did last year consistently. Like it's just not a sustainable model. It's, it's great when it happens, but you need to, that, that group has to be significantly better uh, for them to, to take a step. And I think that some of the personnel changes will help. I think obviously bringing back Xavier Henderson helps more experience. Um, but, you know, your speed should help, but you're going to need overall just a little bit better production. But yeah, it's uh, speaking of Xavier Henderson, he's headed to the Big Ten Media Days in Chicago. In Chicago, question mark, I think. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. Yeah. Pretty, pretty soon. It's getting here, John. Media Days. We're almost there. You, you know, we'll actually have some quotes, things to talk about. Um, you know, he's was a no-brainer from, you know, and I think Peyton Thorne and Jaden Reed are also no-brainers. You know what's funny is, like, a year ago, we didn't know who's going to be the starting quarterback. <laughs> and then Peyton Thorne is on the Davey O'Brien watch list and set the MSU single season record for touchdowns. I don't think we talk, I don't think anyone has talked about that enough. Like that, that's insane. <laughs> it is insane. Uh, it, it's one of those things where you, you're such a prisoner of the moment, yeah. but like, just realistically the numbers he put up and the quality of quarterback play that we saw is something that, I mean, just in terms of accuracy, we haven't really seen in quite some time. And just in terms of guile and making big plays and being smart, like and this was his first year starting. I think that's the thing that excites me the most about Peyton Thorne is he just broke all these records. And I have, I have no doubt that he will be a better player this fall than he was. Yeah. last year i mean for a variety of reasons they're not going to be able to run yeah who knows maybe they will be able to run the ball better but you don't have kenneth walker even if you do have some really good backs there um and quite frankly they're they're better off throwing the ball a guy like Jaden reed and trey mosley and um potentially some of these tight ends like malik carr um and daniel barker i mean you just brought in the Illini's all-time leading <laughs> tight end uh receiver uh you know it's a it's a i think this team's going to probably passed to set up the run more this year than they did years previous. So yeah, while it's, um, it's amazing. He did what he did, but I think we've got even uh, more firepower here in the short term. I mean, getting way ahead of ourselves and certainly we've seen guys have good years, follow them up with not so great years, usually injury injury related. Yeah. But this kid has on track to break every career record at Michigan state. Everyone. 
pass attempts, completions, passing yards, touchdown passes. That's if he, you know, he has to have two more years on the same level as he just had. But to go from is the Temple transfer going to start to that, I think is I think just completely overshadowed by Kenneth Walker's emergence, but was as important. And I I think it just gets washed over a little bit. Yeah, it is it is kind of incredible. I mean, you might look back at last year. Yeah, depending. Obviously, you got to get a ways away from it. But like, if you think about what MSU was able to unearth last year, <laughs> you came in not knowing who the starting running back was going to be and not knowing who the starting quarterback was going to be, and you managed yeah. to find, you know, one of the best single right. season rushers and passers in Michigan State history. Um, yeah, you could look back at it and be like, "Whoa, this is this is what." turn the entire tide of the program right it's just wild they got almost every break you know last year and you know can that be sustained i don't know how much is that to do with you know the mentality and neutral thinking and you know that mm-hmm. melt tucker brings to be determined need more data right but like i i can't i find myself doubting a group that continues to to prove me wrong and at a certain point it becomes a me problem <laughs> you know <laughs> am i just protecting myself from you know expectations that can't be met but yeah i'm just you know you get excited for the season because you're like wow team went from two and five to 11 and two they add added better transfer portals players this year top to bottom as a group i'm meaning i think kenneth walker is probably never going to be touched as the best transfer we've ever had but i think top to bottom more quality and you finally you know you you actually have um guys that know what they're doing now as opposed to that first year in 2020 was a mess you're trying to figure out assignments even much less what your scheme is so can is 11 wins attainable maybe who knows it's just like weird to even say it out loud because it's like happening the mel tucker has just skipped steps you know in a rebuild he's just yeah. skipped years taking years off of it it's it's, it, it's possible man I, I i'm you know i'm anchoring on that eight number not to spoil our predictions for later on in the summer but like i'm anchoring on that eight number but then I, as i look at this schedule it's not crazy. Like it's not crazy to see it going better than that. Whereas I think it's, it is much harder to see it going worse than that. But again, as of sitting here today, knowing only what we know about teams in July, I, as I look at this, like these wild card games, like I just think Michigan state as a program has elevated themselves over the caliber of, of many of them. And I think, you know, when you look at who's going to be difficult on there, it's kind of the big names that, that you always are, are used to seeing the Ohio States, Wisconsin's Michigan, Penn States, you know, teams that, listen, I think Ohio state's obviously in a caliber of their own, but the other three, I don't see any reason why MSU, you know, theoretically on paper can't hang in those games. We're talking about games that are months from now, but, um, yeah, as you think about the other ones, you know, on the road at Washington, Minnesota at home. I think if I'm talking about those a year ago, I'm like, oh man, 
you know, we're, <laughs> we might be in some trouble, but as I sit here today, it's much easier to digest, you know, a potential, you know, win, uh, as, as you think about those, because like you said, Mel's kind of skipped some steps and, you know, this team's, this team won tough games last year too. It's not like they were handed anything or won on a lot of flukes, to be honest. Like they won a lot of difficult games and, you know, going through that all in, in one year and, and bringing back all your coordinators and your quarterback and a lot of skill position talent on both sides of the ball. I mean, it's, it's hard not to get excited about, about. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I, I think also you can got to consider that like this year isn't one of those make or break years, like where not you have to have, like when I say that, I mean, sometimes you have a bunch of seniors and you're like, this is it. I mean, we, you got to figure out how to get double digit wins. I think the momentum of the program, as we've talked about, can still be maintained if you just get eight wins. And I think it's not going to be easy, but I don't think it's also ridiculous to think they would surpass that and then some. Um, certainly possible. So, you know, keep doubting Mel, I guess, at this point. You know, Fine. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I would just say that I think you're entitled as a fan to be disappointed with anything less than eight wins. Because sure. if you win less than eight games this year, it means you lost to all of the teams that, you know, I just kind of reeled off. It means, it means in all likelihood, it means one of two things happened. You lost to all the big dogs. You lost to Washington, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Penn State. You lost all five of those games. Or you won some of those games and dropped really stupid games like yep. Minnesota at Maryland, at Illinois, one of these dumb games that a great program shouldn't drop. Right. So anything less than eight and four, and even to some degree eight and four, to be honest, you one of those two scenarios played out. And if one of those two scenarios plays out, you are well within your rights as a fan with higher expectations to be disappointed. Now, I don't want people to get disappointed at nine and three. Again, like you said, in a year that's not chock full of seniors. I mean, if you look at what could, what in all likelihood coming back after this season, right. it should be a pretty substantial amount of talent and, and that's going to be bolstered by great classes. So, um, but, you know, I, I don't think there's any reason to look at this year and think nine, 10 wins is this, it's not this outrageous thing. Whereas in prior seasons, I think you could have looked at it and been like, yeah, what a miracle that would take. And quite honestly, I think last year, if you were sitting here last year, you would have looked at the roster and be like, we're going to win 11 games. Yeah. Right. This yeah. year, I don't feel nearly the same way. I, I go back and watch them and I'm like, I still don't know how they won a couple of them. And, and <laughs> yeah. to that point, I think, you know, kind of come to the conclusion that, you know, th that last year's team was probably a nine-win team that won 11 games. Was that, is that mm -hmm. like there were yeah. four coin flip games and they won them all. Um, and back to, hey, maybe that's just the way this program is now with this guy in charge. Like they don't lose those games. I don't know. Um, that would be cool. But even if, even if they was, you know, a nine-win team, I think you can say that this team is more talented than that team top to bottom. Now they lose the best talent, but top to bottom, it's more talented. Schedule might be a little tougher this year. So eight or nine wins feels very doable, which I think is ultimately the most important thing for the trajectory of the program as you march toward, can they compete for a college football playoff? Can they compete for a national title? If they get to eight or nine wins, you're still on track. You know, that yeah. 
to march toward it. I completely and totally agree. And while you're right, some of that top, I mean, you obviously look at Kenneth Walker, some of that top level talent left. This team should be deeper at all yeah. of those positions where the top level guys left. Like, yes, you lost Jacob Panashuk, you lost Drew Beasley, but you replaced them with guys like uh, Chris Bogle. I mean, Jacoby Winman's going to come down and play in that position. Aaron Brule is going to be rushing the passer. You know, you, you did lose some talent, but there should be a lot more depth. And I think you saw when they went up against the big boys, even if they won the games, there were moments where they were outmatched depth wise yeah. towards the end of games. And that I do not think is going to be nearly the issue uh, that it may have been before. There, there are going to be times in the first game, Western Michigan game, Friday night opener. Awesome, by the way, where awesome. we're going to be watching it. And I think people are going to be saying a lot of who is that guy in a game? Oh, yeah. A lot. Like, there's going to be some guys flying around out there that you're like, huh. And I, you can call me out on this if I'm wrong. I could be very wrong at this. Cal Halliday is getting a lot of love for, like, preseason Big Ten, you know, mm-hmm. performer. I don't think he might even start. <laughs> I'm serious. He could get pulled off the field in a lot of packages. And Oh, I, I think no doubt. I, I, but negative. that's what you want to create, though. Right. That's exactly. a good thing. Exactly. Um, you know, a couple other scheduling things came out. I'm going to quick go over them. Akron Week 2 is an afternoon game. Thrilled. Loved Love that the Cupcake game was not a nooner. Big time. Week 3 at Washington. That's going to be a 7.30 Eastern time, 4.30 Pacific time. That'll be fun. Um, still considering going to that one. I don't know if you are. Got to get happen. Got to check out Seattle. You know, I'm sure we'll have a takeover like we did in Miami last yeah, year. Yeah. And then uh, Wisconsin was confirmed for an afternoon game, so homecoming will be uh, a treat. You know, it's just shaping up to be a lovely little fall. Yeah, four games confirmed, none of them noon games. I think yeah. that says something for how the program is being viewed, at least going into this season. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. Pre- I actually think the the Washington game being a later game is actually kind of a big deal for the body clock because yep. that for Michigan State players, obviously they're going to be, you know, going three hours in reverse, so uh, shouldn't be that different from a, a typical noon kickoff. So that's that's a good thing. Um, it be a night game for them. Oh yeah, I'm an idiot. So you're <laughs> right. I'm going, t- dude. I swear to God, my maybe my least. My, my worst thing in the world is time zones. I'm horrible at time. I always do them wrong. So, um, yeah, so it'll be a night game, even better. Uh, so, yeah, it's yeah, – listen, it's hard not to get excited about the fact that this is only a couple months away. But, um, yeah, pumped. Love the primetime games. Get them in front of people as often as possible. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot really quick, a bonus question. Mm. Um, which new starter are you most excited for on offense and defense? Oh man, that's a tough question. Um, I think offensively, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Jarek Broussard um, mm-hmm. because I think we've seen Michigan State utilize some really fun, like you've seen them utilize the running back in really interesting scenarios quite a bit over the past few years. And I think one of the things that Kenneth Walker, as great as he was, didn't do all that well was actually catch the ball out of the backfield. And Broussard can do that. I think you're adding like a whole nother element. And like, obviously their road, 
Kenny into the ground. So, you know, he's going to, he's going to play. I'm also, because I'm a sick person, I'm very excited about Daniel Barker, the tight end, because I just desperately want a good tight end more than anything else in the world. Um, and then defensively, I have like four answers, but I would say it's between a mere speed and, um, Probably Jacoby Winman. Uh, I'm really excited about Chris Bogle and Brule as well, but I think Winman is the type of like really dynamic defensive like pass rusher edge guy that Michigan State hasn't had in uh I don't even know since like Danico Allen maybe. Mm. Um, it's that that level of of caliber of player, and that and he's also kind of like this little bulldog bowling ball guy. So I'm very he's going to be a fan favorite. And then speed is like the you know listen you got a starter from Georgia secondary. You know, one of the greatest defenses of all time, um, six three dude between him and Ronald Williams, you know, causes some you know, that could help take that uh, that pass coverage to the next level. So, uh, you know, I kind of copped out taking four guys for two spots. But those are my those are my answers. What about you? Oh, I didn't know I had the answer. Uh, yeah. Well, boy, oh, boy. You know, you can just say you hope everyone has a great time. I do hope they have a great time. I'm very excited and I'm almost nervous to say it out loud because I don't know if this person needs more people believing in him. I'm afraid it could go the wrong way. Keon Coleman. I knew it. (laughs) Kids are stunned. But I think our ongoing, I don't even know if we know it's true, but we have the same ongoing joke that he's like, does, he's probably the, (laughs) <laughs> the most confident kid on the team for some reason yeah. decided he is. <laughs> um, well, no, all you needed to know is you watch him play basketball. Yeah. Dude went in then the first time he ever touched a ball. Like, yeah, no playing on passing. He, he's got plenty of confidence. Basketball's the wrong sport for him because they encourage passing. You know, yeah. well, football, he gets the ball and is not expected to give it to anyone. It's, it's the Keon show. And I just feel like that's where he needs to continue to excel. Um, I can't use the Ikean. And then uh, I guess on defense, we'll see what, um, you know, Aaron Brule's uh, tape from his sophomore year at Michigan state was NFL ready. Um, yeah. I don't know what happened, but um, uh, maybe, maybe he can get back to that. Right. Um and then obviously got to throw one in there. Not a new starter, but Bryce Berenger. I'm just ready for the. Oh, I mean, come on, that's my guy. That He's is a- my guy through and through. Cannot wait to watch him just bomb balls this fall. He's Hopefully le- not too often. He's legit number one um, prospect for I think uh, the draft. Right he's now. gonna be a he's gonna be a cult icon when people get a hold of uh him like nationally when the national scene gets a hold of him when he bombs like an 85 yarder in the second week or something like that yeah he's gonna be a he's gonna be a fan favorite the goggles really set you apart if you want to if you want people to love you and you're a special teamer you got to go rodrigo blanket ship and go mustache and goggles and uh you hand it to bryce man he's uh he's branded himself well you just said 80 yard punt and i need to lie down like yeah no, I know. Listen, I, I know my heart's beating pretty fast and I just, I'm dying, man. I need this. I need it. I need it bad. I need it bad. It's like a, oh, I feel like a, like a, like a drug addict. Like I need football back. We're a month, we're a month away. Um, oh God. Quick, quick plug. Pick six previews just came out. 
Um, awesome read, the best uh, preview mag that I've ever read. Um, it's like 20 bucks. Uh, give him a follow on Twitter. I say all that because he's a really good guy and um, told him we would plug him. So highly recommend. Uh, best 20 bucks I've spent this summer. Um, That's pretty, pretty big praise right there. Yeah, yeah man. It's huge. Um, anything else you want to – maybe we'll save some hoops talk for next time. Yeah, we'll save the hoops for next time. This is a football podcast. They're, they're, they're our favorite sons until proven otherwise. Mm-hmm. But um, no, good to be back on the airwaves with you. It's been great. We should do this more often, but we probably won't. But so, in the fall. But in the fall, absolutely. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, as always, thanks for sticking with us. For John, this has been Austin. We'll catch you next time. See you.